Hey human, play some music. This is Grayson Scott, and I'm here, as always, with my wonderful co-host, Tree. How are you, Tree? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, you it's know? It's a beautiful day. I like how you have uh, this little, like, NPR voice going on. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, overly excited, like, huh, how are you doing radio? And you're always like, this is a very good day. You're always very... Tune in next time. You're very, yeah, you're very, you're very calm. It's very cool. In our pre-production for this show, Tree and I were talking that we're actually excited about this. Uh, we have a couple of things that's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. But first, let's get started off in the usual way. This is the part of the show where we talk about just cool stuff that we've found um, during the week. Uh, just stuff that we found that, that we got excited about, stuff that makes it seem like the future is going to be a better place. Things than, that make us go wow. Yeah, things that make it makes us go wow and honestly make me a little bit happy, right? Cause, yeah. Because like when you have... It definitely makes me happy. Yeah. yeah. So... We're going to start with a tree today. Um, oh, with me? Yeah, we're going to start with you. So why don't you dive in and tell me what thrill-a-minute thing that you found this thrill week? Thrill-a-minute. Um, well, so what I want to talk about today really really hit home for me because it's something that I'm actively trying to do as I move into my new apartment. I'm kind of just noticing all the trash that I accumulated in the past year. Um, their name is Blue Land, and what they do is they kind of cut out um, the need to buy the frequent cleaning products that, you know, like glass cleaner, um, multi-purpose solutions and stuff like that. By oh, yeah, you're always, you're always buying these big bottles right, worth of things, right. and then you end up having to throw these big bottles out. And it's basically just water and plastic, right? So what they do is they provide these, um, like a starter kit that comes with three bottles, three spray bottles, and it comes with a set of pills, um, little dissolvable tablets, and you can create the solution yourself. So what I think is really cool about this is that when you're done with your your spray solution, you can send in for another set of them, and it's super affordable, and basically you don't have to buy a new plastic bottle. So basically you you just keep the pills, and you use the plastic bottle over and over and over and over. Exactly. But you just buy the, for lack of a better word, the detergent. Exactly, yes. So it's a compressed version of solu- um, cleaning solution. They have some stats on their website that kind of um, really impressed me where it was saying that um, the refills are 300 times lighter and 200 times smaller than traditional packing for cleaning supplies. And just thinking about that on a scale of how many things I ship to my apartment, I'm, I'm just like overwhelmed. It makes me mad at myself a little bit. So <laughs> I'm excited about this. I'm going to sign up for it and um, I'm going to learn more. A really fascinating idea because um, there are certain things that regardless politically where you land on being green and, and all that. There's no denying that there's a giant piece of trash in the ocean yeah. that the size of, um, you know, big. I, I don't want to say the wrong, but basically there's a big giant pile of trash like all throughout the ocean. And I've been reading a lot of articles about how plastic is getting into fish. And now we're starting to eat the fish that has the plastic and it's starting right. to have effects. And so, I mean, uh, I lived in Monterey for a while uh, and they have they have been preaching there at the Monterey Bay Aquarium just the dangers of plastics for decades. Right. So with this, it's just a little thing 
that you can It's a little do. step in the right direction, yeah, I feel. To, and I love that because from a futurist standpoint, if we can solve little problems like these of the environment and all this stuff aren't going to be solved by big sweeps. It's all going to be little right. things that are done every single day to solve it. And right. that's why things like um, straws, like around the city. Yeah. Do we really uh, need them, you know? What was that? Do you really need a straw? I mean, yeah. granted that some people have abilities that um, prevent them from using, like, the mouth of the cup or whatever. Sure. But there's ways to go around that, you know? Sure, sure. And and so little things like that or having metal straws available and, you know, reusable, I think these are all the great little things that we're going to do. I think what's really cool about this Blue Man product is that it changes the mindset of the user a little bit, you yeah. know? Like, you kind of want the convenience of a quick spray bottle, you know, pick up a quick um, scrub and bubbles kind of thing. But... It really puts you in a perspective, do I need a new bottle? You know what I mean? And then you can look at other aspects of your life. Maybe like maybe you're drinking bottled water every day. Don't maybe I should get like a aluminum bottle instead. As I hide my water bottle. (laughs) It's okay, Grayson. I forgive you. Thank you. (laughs) We should get some branded merch. We should get some merch. We'll we'll have to get revision merch, but then now we gotta make it green. So that'll be good. Which I'm all for. I mean despite my name, tree, I'm Uh, like green ish. I think that because of my fast paced lifestyle, sometimes I do cut corners, but Mm -hmm. I try really hard not to. Um, I've I've basically stopped using foil and plastic wrap Mm -hmm. in my apartment and also Ziploc. Not Ziploc, sorry, zipper. Yeah, I didn't want to say the brand, but whatever. So. Well, the, the thing is, the thing I really like about what the product that you're talking about is I I don't like um, a manipulation of guilt. I don't that I immediately don't respond to that. Um, if the minute that I'm being told I have to do something right. and I'm being told that I have it's to do my it fault that this guilt, is right. right, right, right. Um, I'm immediately disassociate. I, 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 yeah. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I, I disconnect. All of this stuff is very important to me, but guilt, I was also raised in the church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as, a, as a recovering Christian, as they say, um, the guilt thing doesn't work on me. No. And so that's the, that's the problem that I have with... with, with it's the not the language that you speak that you yeah. respond to, right? The minute, the minute, I, I speak to facts. Yeah. Like if someone's going to say, like, you'll save 20% on your carbon footprint by doing X, Y, Z, then that's something that speaks to me. Right. Versus like, oh, if you're doing this, like these things are dying. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I just want to know how I can empower people around me to do the same. Well, it, you know? it's really funny because um, do you watch Big Little Lies on HBO? No, but oh, I've, I've, I've been meaning to. There, there was the thing this week where um, a girl passed out in her, I think it's like kindergarten class, hmm. out of due to stress because they were hammering home the environment. And the little girl just couldn't take it anymore. Well, no. And so, she, well, it's obviously a scripted show. Okay. So, okay. you know, but that was that was a really interesting. And then they had this whole thing about, are we teaching kindergartens, you know, uh, things about the environment? We're freaking about uh, right. about the future and all that stuff. These are problems that need to be solved. And I think as uh, the human race continues, I think we're going to solve them. And I think that's an important distinction. Oh, of course. Um, because most people will assume oh, we're not going to solve them, and the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket. We're going to lose everything, blah, blah, blah. I think we are going to solve these problems, and I think you can see that across the globe. Oh, of course. Um, These new innovations popping up. Yeah, and so little things like this where you're not changing the behavior of the the individual. We need cleaning supplies. I mean, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing about it. Is like we need cleaning supplies. So how do we make sure that we have cleaning supplies without 
denying people, and then they're just going to not deny themselves. Right. So this way, they get what they need, and they the end result is good, which I think is a right. win-win situation. If Blue Land is listening, I need a, a Lysol alternative because <laughs> that aerosol can really, really messes me up. So. Okay, so I'm going to go now. Okay. A little bit of the same thing. You didn't know what I was going to talk about No, today. I had no idea. So I want to talk about Sidewalk Labs. Have you heard about this? No. Okay, so Sidewalk Labs is an offshoot of Google. And what they're doing is they're working currently in Toronto to build the, a futuristic city, for lack of a better word. Uh, so what they are is, so think about it this way. What have we depended upon to grow our cities right now? It's all 100% government, right? Uh, and I am hardly one that is, is like, you know, there's all these people like, we don't need government and all that. That's not me. I, we need roads. We need you buildings. You sounded just like need... that guy from True Detective. What's his name? Woody Harrelson? Oh, no, that was pretty good. That's, oh, really? Well, yeah. I, I, wow. Apparently I should go into the impersonation. So the whole idea of urban innovation and how to build cities has, has been left on to the government. Right, right. We're looking to them for that sort of permission, that right. sort of support. And and design. Mm-hmm. And and the one thing that you can depend upon with the government, and this is from someone who was employed in the federal government for a few years, no one ever leaves uh, working with the government thinking, well, that was efficient. That was the best way that we could possibly huh. do that. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about in uh, San Jose a few years back, there was an interchange that needed to be done. And instead of just going to uh, uh, you know, the typical state to build this out and there's gonna be multiple billions, they actually got a private contractor to come and do it and they came in literally billions less. Uh, and this isn't about government, whether government is good or government is bad. It's just that we need to start exploring other options. And I think right, right not now... relying on the government. Yeah, I think right now we have a mentality of... This isn't an anarchist podcast, just no, by no. the way. <laughs> <laughs> Forget yeah, was, the government. We're, we're back in, there could be no government. You know, no, that's not, what I'm, that's not where I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is, is that there are other options. Yeah, right. I think there are other options for space flight. I think there's other options for... Healthcare it makes me I, really optimistic. Yeah, you know? I, I think everybody should be working on these problems. Mm-hmm. So Google now created this thing called Sidewalk, uh, Sidewalk Labs. And oh, what Google created it? Yeah, Google created okay. this. Um, and they're designing a district in Toronto on the waterfront. And they're literally going to build um, what they're calling a city within a city, which is really cool. And then what it's going to have is it's going to have the latest and greatest technology. It's going to have the latest and greatest um transportation, the latest and greatest Wi-Fi, the latest and greatest in how in urban housing and there the idea is that they're gonna be able to create a community. And there are people that are upset about it. There are people that are excited about it. Uh, I'm personally pretty excited What's about it. What's there to be upset about? <laughs> well it, you know, I think this is a fundamental change in the way that we have operated for the last what, couple hundred years. So everything since the time that, let's say, early 1800s, there was an idea that government should not be involved in our life. And then government, as it should in many ways, got involved with it. And then state governments and federal governments got involved. And so now there's a really interesting um, conversation taking place, like uh, Facebook, you know, introducing potentially a currency. If that currency works, then what is the Federal Reserve worth, Mm -hmm. right? 
So the government is going, wait, that's our realm. And technology is now starting to go, no, no, that could be our realm. Hmm. And so there is, that's a real conversation that needs to happen. Parallel runnings of power, right? Right. And the thing is, is government is not efficient at all. We know that. There's so much red tape. But that kind of works for its favor, right? Mm -hmm. It slows the process down. And people tend to have to, rather than, and then you look at um, private industries, and they just mess with people. They treat people terribly. That's why unions were created. So if you let industry just run, it'll run over people. Right. And if you let government run, it it'll just nothing will happen. Right. So there has to be this great little balance. And I think this is another area in which that happens. Because notice Google did not do that in the United States. Right. You know, they they they, they worked clearly it out have, right. with Toronto. So I'm if you if you want to take a look at it, you can actually take a look at sidewalktoronto.ca uh, or you can just go to um, Sidewalk and uh, Sidewalk Labs and look at what they're doing. But this is a really interesting, because we're talking about the future, and we always talk about futuristic cities, and we're talking about flying cars, and we're talking about all these visions of what we have. This is really one of the first really big projects in which we're talking about creating a city. And that kind of thinking is is new. Now, this could be a complete and total failure, which is fine. But I'm really, I think this is something that we need to keep an eye on, um, because if we can change the way that we think about infrastructure, then that actually will open us up to a lot of uh, new areas and new opportunities. Right. It's about providing the things that we know that we need, but doing it in such a way that it doesn't create harm. And I mm-hmm. don't necessarily know that that's green, but this looks like it's something. more efficient, right? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just more efficiency. And when they talk about the housing and real estate, the the new constru- construction methods and all that stuff. Um, enables a reduced cost of housing, which makes housing less expensive, right? And so being more efficient in what we do will actually have a a long-term effect. Hmm. I think that's kind of what they're trying to figure out here. Go Toronto. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And and they are talking about sustainability, and there's really interesting things like having – they have an image on their, their website where they have the people walking and they have the trains and they have all this uh, stuff on one level. And then underground, you actually have all of the garbage and the trash and the recycles mm. um, all going underground so that it's actually taken care of efficiently. And then, then you're not actually increasing footprints and all this other kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's it's a new blueprint for a city, and I think we should um, be paying attention I to it. I feel like that would be a cool like reality TV show where they put you on an island, right, and you cannot – accrue any trash i want to be on that show i want to be on that show where you have to you have to make what you want Mm -hmm. i mean obviously they they send you stuff like some like raw supplies or whatever because it's part of the the show (laughs) i think those shows are really funny because a lot of times it's like survivor no 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 no. it's it's like we're gonna put people on an island and make them naked and you're gonna (laughs) naked and afraid no it's like we're gonna put people on an island and we're gonna call it survivor but people already live there. Here are here are people in the first world that are just not living in the middle of a city, right. and we're going to call it Survivor. So for me, I don't feel like it would be like um, a city where no one was there. It would be like a normal situation, mm-hmm. like you're working a normal a normal society. But every time you accrue trash, you take a hit on See, a, on a value. I think that would be interesting. I think basically, so we take ten New Yorkers mm-hmm. and we track them for 
either for their footprint. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's the game. And at to, the end of the game, if they have like any money left over, basically every time you throw something away, you lose like a dollar or whatever. Okay. Then at the end of it, if you have like anything over a thousand dollars left over, it's yours. Then you can buy all the plastic you. All want. the plastic that you, you want. You can go buy things in plastic. Now packaging that you've been repressed. And you, yeah. <laughs> you, perfect. That sounds like a great. Put me game. on that show. And the, the winner gets to win a million dollars and order everything that they want from Amazon. Amazon, exactly. Destroyed. Unlimited supply of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're on something. Okay, so let's get into the show. Um, what we're going to do today is, um, actually, let me surprise you with something here. You, you don't know about this yet. I don't know about But this. when you go to our website, which is revision.nyc, and you listen to the podcast, at the bottom of the podcast, there's a little button that says, would you like to leave us a voicemail? Mm-hmm. And then people can get on there, record messages to us. So we've received a few of them. Oh, we have some already? We have some. So this is the first one. Hey guys, really enjoying the podcast, but wish I knew a little bit more about you guys. Where'd you meet? Who are you? Okay. So they want to know more about us. Okay. Okay. Who are you? Right, right. So here's the second one. Hi, Grayson and Patricia. I'd like to know more about your background in the tech field and what inspired the Revision podcast. Pretty consistent. (laughs) Pretty consistent about uh, what they're asking. And finally, one last one. I'm really enjoying the podcast, uh, especially the television episode. Who are you guys? Okay. No brainer there. No brainer there. Who are we? Who are we? Yeah. Who who are these hosts that are hosting the show? Yeah. Now, I will say this. Uh, that was done on purpose. Most podcasts, the first show is where, like, for instance, you and I would sit down and we'd talk about ourselves, um, which, eh, I'm not a big fan of. Honestly, it's like I I did this purposely so that our first show would be a good show, so that when people tuned in, they get they get the actual full show, so they can actually really see what it's about, rather than you and I just talking about what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then because the thing is, is most times when you when you when you see a new podcast that only has one or two, if they make it to ten to twenty, that's actually good. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to have the mentality of like. Here we go. I just want to, let's go. Let's, let's get, going. Let's, let's get go. to work. So, but with that said, now that we're four or five shows in and we're having a good pace and we, we're starting to get great guests and it's really exciting, we're starting to build this thing up, I thought, okay, let's do a show that's about us and where people can learn a little more about us. So, what we're going to do is for the first half, I'm going to interview you. And ask you all sorts of questions, and then you're going to do the second half. You're going to do that to me. Alrighty then. And then, uh, then we will get out. And so this will probably be a shorter episode. Who knows? Depends on how good the conversation. Let's see where it takes us. You know. It's going to be weird because you and I talk all day. So th- to see how we can actually have a, keep this conversation going. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll probably be, be really tired of each other by this. <laughs> what was that? I'm, I'm like, we'll probably be really tired of each other by yeah. the end of this conversation. <laughs> well, we, we will actually. I will say this. So let's let's get started with this. We have only known each other a short time. Yeah, about six months, right? About six months. But I would say that we really became acquaintances and friends three months ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, and so we we found that we had... I, I will tell you, the, the thing that uh, Tree and I actually hadn't really spoken, and when we were at work, uh, she was standing near my desk and started chewing out these engineers. <laughs> right? Just chewing them out. 
And for those of you who don't know from our other episodes, we are both uh, UX designers. So we're user experience designers. Uh, in our current role, I am what's known as more of a information architect, where I meet with the product owners and I actually sculpt the just basically getting their thoughts down, getting the concepts, getting wireframes. Right. And then uh, Tree is a visual designer. So when I'm done with my wireframes... I'll make it happen. Right. She makes it happen. She makes it look amazing. She follows all the style guides from the corporation and all this other kind of stuff. And then her job is then to work with engineers to turn it over to engineers. And then it's supposed to happen and look exactly like she makes it. And if it doesn't... And if it doesn't... She stands by my desk and yells at the engineers. I actually, I have to agree with you. That's my earliest memory of you, too. Like, I was embarrassed. Like, I think my <laughs> face was a little hot. I was flushed. And I like, kind of, like, looked around, and I was really embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe I just said all that. But it was, it was, it was needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I looked at you, and you, like, kind of validated what I said. And I was like, okay. I gave you a thumbs up. Yeah. I remember, I remember you, were, you, were, you were letting them have it. Yeah. And what you were saying was, like, we spend all this time, we spend all this energy and effort, and we turn them over to you, and you were just making whatever you want. Right. All of the work and energy and teamwork that it took to get us here. I was just basically saying, let's collaborate. You, you know, just like, yeah, you if, were... you, if you don't understand something, I sit an aisle away, come over, right. say, what does this pixel mean? You know? Right. You were really good, and so I gave you a thumbs up. But that was the point where I thought, okay, that's the right conversation to have, because as a UX person, I've been fighting my whole life in that exact conversation. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. What made you go into technology design? I entered the industry actually by accident. Um, I was in advertising and in more of like a graphic design sort of role. And I just wasn't being fulfilled in a way that um, my brain actually worked. So I started picking up a lot of freelance gigs um, for for IX, for UX, and eventually my freelance gigs just kind of overpowered what I was doing in my nine to five. So I just made the leap one day. And um, I mean, I'd gone to school for communication design, so the parts were already in play, you know? It was a a no-brainer for me to like, just do what I was actually meant to do. Graphic design is a great field. I just think that I don't, I'm not sure that the jobs that I had or that were interested in my portfolio, they understood what I was capable of. Yeah, I, I think, because I also started out in advertising and marketing, and which I actually really enjoy. I enjoy marketing. Uh, right. And we've worked together a little bit on marketing, so you know mm-hmm. some of my thoughts there. Um, but I think what they don't tell you in graphic design school is that you may spend six months designing an advertisement for soap, an illustration for a piece of soap. Right, you know, something that's going to be on the on the screen for like thirty seconds, you know, like yeah. But you have to go through a hundred revisions. Yeah. So I'm good at stuff like that. Like I'm I'm naturally a creative, artistic person, but I I at some point it got to it got to this mindset where I was like I don't really want to make money doing this. I want to do this because I love it. Right. right. You know, it kills the joy a little bit. So, so how, that's is, why, how mm-hmm. is the difference between design, pure design, and advertising design, and illustration design, and all this? versus doing uh, UX um, visualization? I would say there is a distinct difference in terms of strategy and methodology, but there there really isn't a difference. The outcome, the output is kind of the same, right? You're creating something for someone to digest, something for someone to utilize. And um, for me, what changed the most is that I was at the end of the conversation in, in, in design when I was in a, a traditional graphic designer role, 
where people had already had this huge conversation and they would come to me and they'd say, we need a cool graphic. Can you do it? Of course I can do it. But what were the conversations that led to that yeah. digested solution, right. you know? And now that I'm in the UX world, um, it's a bit about like five years now, it's a completely different story. You're there at the inception of this idea. You're through the user story. Um, you're there through the the research, the implementation, the build, the support. So it's kind of like you want to be in every phase of it. You have to want to be in every phase. Well, you of want it. to have the luxury of being in every phase. Yeah. Because like we both work, we work for a large company, right? right? And so the idea of us being able to be lucky enough where we don't feel like a giant cog in the machine, yeah, yeah, doing our one little part, mm-hmm. um, is actually a really good feeling. It's one of the yeah. one of the things that's really good about where we are right now. Right. I, I think that that's that's a good way to. S- to say it, um, I feel much more appreciated in the field that I'm in right now mm-hmm. because it's something that comes to me naturally just by the empathetic approach that I have towards the user. It's it's a unique skill that I think UX designers have across the board where you can visualize different story mapping and different criterias for the users. And just because it comes to me naturally, putting myself in an industry where that's valued. Right. Now, now let's let's take a step back. Define what you mean by empathy with users. It just means that you're able to look through the lens of someone who's using the digital product that you're making, and you can make inferences based on what they might do or how they might react to something. Right. So the concept is not that when you're going to make an uh, application, you're not going to make an application from the engineer out. It's from the right. user in. Right. And that's a key. That's, you know what? I realized we, we have our title for this episode. It's the future of UX design. I like it. <laughs> that we'll, we'll, we'll do that. that. That actually wasn't the plan, but that, that's what it's going to be. Because um, we're both highly skilled UX designers. Why not? We're not going to find anybody more skilled. <laughs> okay. The idea with is that you're using the customer to define what it is that they want. Exactly. Now, where this is very important was let's, let's go back 20 years. And what happened was is you were releasing software onto a CD. Mm-hmm. And what happened was when you made that software and you put it on the CD, you had to stamp it closed. We are done. We make no more changes on this because mm-hmm. you couldn't make changes. It wasn't iterative at all. No, you had to get Locked it onto in. the CD and whatever fit on the CD, you, you, that's what you went with. And now we have an opportunity where we, where we can really listen more and make changes on an ongoing basis. Right. So whether it's large SaaS applications, or which is what we work on, or even games or whatever, we can make changes based upon how users want to use the software. And that's a huge difference. Right. I have a friend who works at um, a design company, let's just say mm-hmm. that, a design software company. And I've been begging her to put um, a few features into this portfolio platform. Yeah. And it's finally happening. And then I kind of feel like I'm the user. Because yeah. I'm, I'm never the user. You know, when you're UX designer, you're never the user, you know? Right, right, But you right. should understand what the user needs. So I've been asking for, like, um, like fluid text boxes and, like, checklists and stuff like that. And they're finally putting it in. And I, I get that gratification. And I hope that people who use the products that we design feel the same way, that like, we're, like, listening to them and we're being empathetic towards their needs. Yeah, th- there's nothing better... Everything that I do in life, actually, from a creative standpoint, there's nothing better than watching someone use or experience oh, what yeah. it is that you created. And you're sitting back remembering, oh, yeah, six months, a year ago, I was sitting in a boardroom 
and people were talking about this as an ethereal concept. Like, oh, yeah. this is something we could do. Low and, fidelity, like scratchy paper, you know? Right. And then it turns into something that people are like, wow, mm-hmm. this is really great. I don't think there's any better feeling in the world than that. Than, Absolutely. Than that accomplishment. So, okay. So that's you during the day. Who are you when you're outside of work? You can't just drop questions like I'm, that. That's, that's the whole point of this. This is where people get to know you. This year has been sort of um, a different me. I usually have um, my my weeks planned out mm-hmm. in advance because I'm crazy like that. <laughs> but um, I don't I don't like I don't like going back on promises. Like if I tell someone I'm gonna be somewhere, I yeah. like to like keep it, you know. But this year I've been like double booking myself, just trying to like keep pretty fluid, you know. Spend ten minutes with this yeah. place and then go over there. So I don't know. I'm just trying to be more fun and like more. Um, but you're very outdoorsy, for instance. Yeah, I am very outdoorsy. So. Um, I love camping, and... Um, and what hobbies do you have? My hobbies? I don't know, dude. What do I do? Well, like, right it's now, like I, when you ask I, someone what they do, yeah. it all goes out the door. Just and I know like, it's really hard right now because we've had multiple conversations the fact that you're moving. Yeah. And that has encompassed your brain for... My hobby is packing boxes. Right. That has encompassed your brain. <laughs> and you... Uh, so I, I totally get the fact that right now hobbies are packing tape and all of that stuff. Right. I only moved to New York in August of last year. Right. And uh, um, we were very fortunate that we had total damage to our place. So the insurance company made um, the movers pack everything for us. It was beautiful. Um, so, but uh, moving is the worst. Yeah. So I, I mean, totally generally speaking, I'm really interested in um, like health and fitness. Yeah. I really like cooking. That's true. So you say you like cooking. Um, what is your favorite thing to cook? Well, I want to preface that a little bit. I like cooking because I like eating. Oh, yeah, you do so, like eating. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm really interested right now in, in Southeast Asian sort of cuisine. So okay. I recently came back from Thailand, and I got a bunch of um, spices and stuff like that. So I've been kind of like slowly weaning through them. Um, and I have to say, like, even though that they're pre package they were they were made by someone but like they were sure. pre-packaged in like a, a vacuum sealed packet it's just amazing flavor and i'm like constantly just making new things like we made um yeah we made like green curry we made um something called cow soy which is like a curry noodle mm-hmm. um kind of dish and you know just having fun just making yeah, you things. do eat i will say this yeah. I, I've, I've joked about it on the podcast before but we went as a group to um a Korean restaurant in what, like 30... Yeah, like K-Town, right? K-Town. What is that, like 32nd? 32nd and Broadway. Yeah, yeah. So we went to K-Town, and uh, you ordered a huge plate of food and just... By accident. Tore it up. <laughs> I was very impressed. I ordered... I had to leave early for a meeting, so I had like one tiny little thing, but it was like... Oh, but you didn't see Grayson when the, the fried fish... It was like a whole fried fish came out, and mm-hmm. Grayson was just like, mm, not going to do that. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't... Ex- I wasn't... <laughs> I wasn't in the mood at that particular yeah, yeah, yeah. day to eat food with the head still on. I feel you. I feel you. That was. I was just like, yeah. I'm not feeling that right now. It's not a today thing. Maybe a tomorrow. No, no, yeah. no. That's not a thing. So, Grayson, I am really excited that we're doing this. Yeah. Um, I want to learn more about you. So, tell me about you. Okay. How did you get into the UX industry? So, I am substantially older than you. Uh, I started in the late '90s. Um, doing actually animation is when, when I got started. I, I actually started in the field of graphic design, um, but I already had, I always wanted to do animation. 
And so around, you know, to, around the time that the iPhone was coming out, I was working in San Francisco uh, and I was working for agencies out there, creative agencies. And what I found really fascinating was, is we would have clients come in and we wouldn't really know what they would need when they initially come in. They could want us to do redo the software that we could, uh, um, I worked for an agency out there that did almost exclusive PowerPoints, you know, just, just getting decks ready to the deck, which, which, which was a ton of work. Uh, and great, but a lot of it, it it ended up being a lot of, of software design when the world was really trying to figure out what software design was. Right. Like, I would easily say that we were less than five to six years into even having an internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, I worked for multiple companies that I remember. I worked at one company that was trying to define what terms to use for the internet. That was our whole job. Mm-hmm. Like, what is packet data? Do we capitalize the word web? Do we capitalize? And that was their job, trying to trying to get some level of consistency hmm. about what this web thing was. And what I was amazed about was that they didn't understand the creative process. And the creative process is, if you think of sculpture, is, is like the greatest concept for understanding what creativity is. You start out with a big, giant block and then you basically get it chisel uh, away. down to kind of the, the idea, the form that you're kind of thinking about. But you basically work in, in blocks. You, you get it slowly to the place that you want, and then you, you step back. And in animation, that's doing your storyboards. You know, so you do storyboards in UX, that's wireframing. And there is a process that you go through that is consistent regardless of what you want to do. Same with music. You basically get your chord structures down. And all creativity runs through this exact same process. And so as people were coming to us um, at the agencies that I worked at, for me it was obvious. Oh, well, we need to wireframe this first. And then we need to uh, go through and do you know, have people use it and make sure they're doing some testing. I remember uh, when Flash was really popular, one of the things that I did that I was actually able to start my own company with was I actually created Flash versions of uh, phone products long before we started coding. So the idea that I believe in and I still believe in is that you do most of the work long before you start coding. The minute you start coding, you, you run into certain problems because there's certain structures that you need and there's certain logic. And the thought process goes from the product you're making into how you're making it. Hmm. But so many companies just want to jump into you're the You're like code. setting up these limitations before you've even gone through the, the creation process. Right. right. And so many – I've had so many battles, as you had, standing next to my desk, which mm-hmm. is why I appreciated it. Like I've had so many jobs where – you know, you, you, you're working with the engineering staff, and the engineering staff is like, well, okay, I got it. Let's start building. And to me, that's the equivalent of you need to build a bridge. And mm-hmm. so the engineering team, let's just start nailing shit together. Let's just get a bunch of wood and some metal and start nailing it together, and we'll figure it out. We, we don't go. know what the weight of the bridge needs to take. We right. don't know who's going to walk across this bridge. We don't know if it's for cars. We don't or know people. if it's for a train. We right. don't know what it's for. But let's just start throwing this thing right. together. Which is insane right. when you think about it, but the fact of the matter is that is exactly what happens with most software products. Most Absolutely. software products, there's like, well, let's just start banging things together and we'll figure it out. And so th- I was always a big proponent, and there, it, this was long before there was a term called UX. This was like 
<laughs> I can't tell you how many like arguments and stuff that we had. It's like, we don't know what we're building. Let's at least spec it out. So um, right when the iPhone came out and you could start doing applications, I had my own company in which what I did is I created the first application that uh, if you had a book and you're reading the book, but you then wanted to, you needed to get in the car and go, that you could tap on the paragraph that you were on in the book and it would start the audio book. Hmm. And then you could listen to it and then it would keep that. And so this was, uh, I was in Colorado at the time and I was flown out to New York uh, here to uh, uh, speak at a publisher's conference with all the major publishers about the future of what publishing was going to go. And I was able to give you know, wow. a big speech. It was really cool. And that's one of the first times that I, like, as an adult, I was in New York. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love this city. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went back to Colorado. And within a couple of years, I was like, okay, I want to move to the East Coast. I, get, I can move to the East Coast. Because I had been going back between San Francisco and Colorado. And it's just like, ugh. So um, I was like, okay, let's, let's get to the East Coast. So I, I was in D.C. for a while. And that I worked with the federal government doing exactly this. And the amazing thing about this was, is over the years, over the last 20 years that I've been doing this, you're, the term UX started coming out. And suddenly people understood what it was that I had been preaching all along. Like you need to have wireframes and you need to have the process. And so I will say where, we're, where we are at now uh, is very exciting. The fact that the structure was already in place. Um, at the last company I was at uh, with a uh, federal regulator, they weren't even doing wireframes. Uh, my first day, my oh, first day there was a multi-million dollar project. Like, and they just went straight to what? In to the high fidelity. Millions, I would say, went st- they, they 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 took a designer and basically said, "This is what we want." And the designer designed out full full visual design and handed it off, and they just started building hmm. and. On the fly. On the fly, based on minimal. And I, I remember my very first day at that job looking at their designs, and I could poke so many holes on it and not holes within what they were doing without – and so I just remember, like, folding my arms going, oh, man, I'm in, I'm in so much trouble What here. did I just walk into? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I was very actually – I was very happy to actually introduce wireframing and then – doing visual design and then taking the visual design and turning those into components and uh, uh, it was great and so during that time uh, I also started doing comedy so I did stand up in my personal time uh, and I was actually pretty successful in San Francisco started coming up to New York every weekend so New York was kind of always in your in your back pocket I um I actually should say the very first time that I went to New York was I was a junior in high school mm-hmm. and we came out and uh, on a on a field trip Little Grayson. And uh, uh, it, was, it was, let's just say, during the 80s, which uh, New York was a very different city. It was, a, I remember we, were, we got off the bus, and the, and the parents and the security lined both sides of us when we got off the bus. We, were, we went to the Winter Garden Theater, mm. and they lined so that we had a clean shot going straight into the theater. Because mm. Times Square was a different place back then. Mm-hmm. But I was really, really young, and I, I immediately fell in love with New York. So I've always loved New York, um, and so it's so, so amazing to be here. And it's so amazing to see that from a design standpoint, we've gotten to a point that we can actually have these discussions, and we actually have terms like U, UX and CX and IX, and these are actually terms that I fought for, you know, throughout my career. And right. so, so actually having a, a job now where I actually can go through and do information design 
and hand it off to someone like you who didn't do the visual effects. This is the way that it should be done. This right. is the way that it should have always been It's a proper been done. design process. And it's proper, and, and it literally saves millions of dollars. Absolutely. In, in costs. And that's what I think, I, that's what I think a lot of startups and, and a lot of uh, things that are really heavy on the engineer mm-hmm. base. And I am not taking away from the code. I am not taking away from the skill of the engineers. I am not taking away from any of that. But we're I just will ex- say, we're explorers. We're explorers of space. And yeah, I, I will say this: it's really interesting with UX designers because they keep like when you look for an ad for a UX designer, they're like, "Oh, we would like you to be able to design and illustrate in this, and also we need you to do front end and code." And we want a full stack designer, right? And yeah. this this idea of the unicorn designer, which doesn't exist ever, uh, but we'll go away from that subject because that'll, <laughs> that'll be a whole diatribe right there. But you never see like a front-end position where they're like, oh, and we need you to be a better coder. We need you to be a better designer. Right. It's always about how can the It's a different world. It's kind of like a conflict of interest, right? Right. And it's because it's a different mindset. Right. The mindset for an engineer is to build something. And and like I said, this is not about saying anything bad about the engineering team. What's really interesting about that is, is if you provide them really good design, it makes their job so much easier. Oh, yeah. Because my, my, my former, that's no, still a thing. I'm just not directly like you working with the engineers right now. But my former mindset is, is if my engineering team was at a whiteboard questioning what they should do, I failed as a UX designer. Hmm. It should be so clear right. that what the, the materials that we give them, it should be so clear that they sit there and they look and they go, yeah, this is, I, I get this. And then they can build their schemas, they can build their databases, they can build everything one time. Right. Because it's the whole, oh, yeah, let's change our mind and go back, and ch- which causes bugs, which causes all sorts right. of problems. <sighs> that was a lot. <laughs> I got excited. But apart from that, so I love being in New York. Yeah. So here. I, I'm interested in knowing um, where do you see yourself in the next, like, five years? In the next five years? Yeah. I'm not really sure, to be perfectly honest. I love doing what I'm doing, but I've been doing it for a while. So there are other other venues that um, I want to explore. Yeah. Uh, and, and this doesn't mean necessarily changing. I think uh, a friend of mine uh, has told me something really smart. Is I, I have a lot of outside interests. So not only do I do this podcast, I have other podcasts that I produce. I have multiple books that I've written. There's multiple plays that I've written and I'm working on a musical right now and I'm working yeah. on a podcast which is going to be a musical series and I'm doing all of this other kind of stuff. And so I think right now w- what I'm looking at is I really like where I'm at. Uh, let's be honest. As artists, we're doing pretty good. You know, yeah. we're not doing... And who this, knows what's next? Right. We're, we're not doing the starving artist route. Mm-hmm. But I would say in five years, probably a little bit longer, if I could be doing... Let's say exactly what I'm doing now, but have a show being produced in New York, or even better on Broadway. You know, have a successful thing in in, in more of the true like fiction or creative areas. Yeah, that would be amazing to me. That that's Love where it. I would like to go because I I right now I have found that instead of going home and doing other design, just sitting down at the piano and playing and and composing. That's where you want to be. Is really the most relaxing place that mm-hmm. I can be. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's just so important to have that sort of um, offline life. I think that that kind of reminds me of why I moved away from graphic design. It's just yeah. like the passion for that wasn't as front mind for me. And being able to do other things outside of work, like teaching yoga, 
or doing art workshops um, or just like things that kind of spoke to me more. I really want to get into like jewelry making. I just want to try more ways that I can be creative. Um, before, there was a time actually between, um, between jobs where I was kind of embedded in companies to be a historian, right? And at that time, it wasn't quite like a design system manager, but basically they put me on to kind of like talk to everyone on the team because everyone on the team wasn't talking to each other. Engineers weren't talking to designers, designers weren't talking to product. So I was placed as a contractor um, to kind of be the historian of the team. Yeah, and don't, sort you, of don't you find that, the, that part of what we do is just communication? Right. Right, right. It, it really, if you take it down to like an elemental aspect, that's that's basically what it is. Atomically, we are communicators. So my job was basically to um, make sure that the components that were being built were documented somewhere. The functionality, it was basically like their living, breathing Bible of like what to do and what not to do with the components. And um, that was like super fun for me. So being that my background was in UX and I was doing this sort of like UI role, it kind of made me double think like, you know, even though I have the foundation of UX, maybe UI is actually where I want to be. So um, this position that I'm in right now was actually my first, I want to say first dedicated UI role. I've done product roles before, but I'm, I'm really happy just focusing on UI and being able to like insert my opinion in UX. I, I mean, when we're meeting sometimes like, and no one's advocating for UX, I'm definitely there and happy to like speak to that. Yeah, and I think we should define terms because a lot of our terms are oh, right, so right. messed up. So UX is user experience. Right. UI is user interface. Right. And so you, the user experience concept is where you gather all the data of like what we're going to build and why we're building and the thinking behind it and blah, blah, blah. The user interface is uh, what, she, what uh, Tree does. It's the uh, scalability of the brand. Right. It's and making sure that everything um, works well and it's relatable to the overarching artifacts. Right, because a big part of, especially when you work for a large company, is how, I mean, there's dozens and dozens of designers where we're at. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, in different. How do you keep track of designs? You right. Know? Like, how do you buildings. know that you're not committing your time to something that someone upstairs had already built, right? Yeah. So like, like, when I start doing my initial thought process during, during my wireframing, I go to Tree and I'm like, have we already built this? And she's like this genius that goes, oh, yeah. And she knows all the products and goes to the right product and goes, here's what we built before, and then I can adapt it. Would, right. you, would you say that's fair? I would say that's a, that's a pretty fair assessment of what I do. I think what's also important for a more seasoned UI designer is just for someone to have knowledge of, like, the use cases of how this, this instance works. I think that sometimes in smaller companies, they tend to, like, build a component and move on. Mm -hmm. But it's important to make sure that component is scalable in different instances. Right. And so how would you rate, so, so since this is a futurist show, what is the future of UX UI? I, I already know that right now, I can't call this the future, so let, let me start with UI. Um, every company, no matter how big and how small, needs to have a design system. They need to have a repository, the same way that engineers have a repository, for components, um, and it needs to be a living, breathing document. I think that if you're walking into a job, this is business career advice, guys. If you're walking into a job as a UI or a UX designer or a product designer and they don't have a design system or they don't feel invested in making one, walk away. I completely agree because, it's, because so the last company that I was at that I mentioned was the uh, federal regulator. 
did not have a design system, and their design team had been trying to put together a design system. You for shouldn't. You shouldn't year. have to try. You shouldn't have to convince someone that a design system is needed. Right. So I can, you know, I'm, I'm just going to sit over. Keep going. I'm just going to sit over here and chuckle, and everybody that knows me <laughs> is just laughing hysterically about that. Like, situation. oh, that good old Grayson. Yeah. I mean, just from a level of customization, from governance, and just. It's like plug and play if you at least have a design system. And let me let me explain what a design system is. So a design system is a collection of elements that live in the product. So we, we're, we're talking atomic, like buttons. We're talking text. We're talking about checkboxes. And it can get even more dynamic to include things like a wizard or a stepper or even more dynamic to include things like a navigation bar. Right. So what... What's important about a design system is that as you make things, you document it so that if other people want to use it, they are not reinventing the wheel every single time. Right, because software is very expensive to make. So if you're if you have a product owner, don't even get me started on tech debt, man. Right, right. So if you have a product owner who has an idea and they're talking to the information architect and they design a something as simple. Uh, as a calendar app, like how you're going to choose a date picker, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to build that date picker. They have to design that date picker. So you have, you're paying somebody to sit in a meeting with with the information architect saying, we need to have a date picker there. And then you have a designer who designs that date picker. Then that design then goes to an engineering team. That engineering team builds or pulls in, you know, uh, something that they they already have. Mm -hmm. uh, And then that is implemented. That when you start the next project, if you start at a blank page, all that time, energy, effort, and money it's is wasted. wasted. Is gone. Yeah. And so when you talk about these these companies that talk about millions and millions of dollars in design, but every time they start a new product, they start from a blank page. That's that's just insanity. It's just not the right way to do it. Something that I'm focusing on currently at work is a pattern library, an effective mm-hmm. pattern library. And basically what that means is different layouts for pages are being collected and documented. And anytime a designer like Grayson comes along and wants to create a new, a new feature for the existing product, he can look at the pattern library and say, okay, so is this a two-page thing? Is this a, sorry, is this a two-column thing? Is this a drag-and-drop? And he can have access and build it not from scratch and i should say in my particular case that i am a nightmare for tree because in my particular project nothing i created fit within the library because it's a completely new product and so you're designing a product for something completely new and so you go to the old stuff and you're like and this was a real discussion that we had we had this discussion many many times like how many patterns can we pull in on this new product to make this familiar and to scalable, make, right? to make it work to make and it the the end end thing was like we don't have it this is something brand new and so now we have an opportunity to actually build this right and build it in a way that actually is scalable right. uh, so there are times where you do need to go um and break the pattern because if you get so stuck into the pattern library then you're you you run the risk of not innovating Right. right. So I think we actually navigated that um, problem very well, and and within the group had had long discussions about it. And went, okay, these elements we are going to use; these elements are brand new. Go to town on both. Um, right. But you were really helpful. If I could compliment you, you were you've been extremely helpful to me as an information architect to be able to go and have you give me just a wealth of knowledge about everything that you know. So it, it, the system works, and that's the big thing about what we do. 
the the process works right and it works every time right would you say would you would you i mean that's a bold statement but i i mean it. i'd say there's definitely um fail safes in play mm -hmm. um you know that's what demos are for that's what um crits are for and going through the process of specifically what you were working on is um a great example just that you know, sometimes as an IX designer, you are the person talking to the product owner and you know exactly what they need. But when they're removed from the conversation, you got you to gotta talk to us. You got to talk to designers, <laughs> totally. you know. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very excited about where your, pro where your product, product yeah. is going. It'll be good. And, and hopefully we'll get to a point that we can talk about it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I really enjoyed this. This has been fun. Did, what, other, what other, well, actually, let me go back to this. Can I give my prediction for where I think UX design is going? Yeah. I think um, we're in a problem. I think we have a real problem moving forward with UX. Yeah, why is that? Um, early in my career, I was a really good illustrator and a really good um, logo designer, mm -hmm. right? I would never go into that business now. You can go onto so many sites and find almost any conceivable logo or any conceivable illustration and just buy it for five, ten bucks, right? I mean, you can do custom work, um, but you're not going to get the rates that it used to be. It used to be, you know, seventy-five, a hundred dollars an hour to do this brand stuff. It's just not worth that now. There are ways that you can circumvent that, right? Because we're I don't agree with you. So when I say right, I'm oh, just, I'm so just going me, along with it. Why don't you agree it? with me on that one? Well, there's a difference between drag and drop elements where you can just be literal with your mm -hmm. icon right let's say that your company is like bumblebee chapstick or whatever it is right and you put a bumblebee and that's it that's your brand sure right? sure sure so the literalness if you go to like a marketplace you're getting the literal right output right versus someone like me or you knowing the brand breathing the brand and understanding who the competitors are and understanding where if their if their product was on a shelf next to I don't know Johnson Johnson if it was next to a product like Aussie or something like that right. knowing and, that yeah, I agree I sort of historical not I know I could just go on and on but, <laughs> no, um, I didn't mean to cut you off because no, no, what no. you're talking about is the difference between brand right and design so you're saying that there's brand is not incorporated in a logo uh, logo is one actually small element of a brand. Okay. Right, so when that's, you're, the, that's the public-facing element of the brand. The brand should be your entire communication structure, your entire company personality. So when I go to a site, I should understand like what they do, why they do it, why right. they're excited. But that, I feel about like that's that's and like, all that bubbles, all the all the copy right. that they do, all the advertising, all of the colors, all of that stuff. All that is but part of the But you and I, coming from an advertising background, know that, right? Yeah. What about the the layman, the layman's terms, right? Or like mm -hmm. the everyday man? Well, here's the thing. Most let let's start from a small company and work work our way up. Okay, small companies can't afford that the level of time that it takes to do it. They need they need something. They need a logo. They need a mark to slap on an envelope. They can get a very solid mark. And get going and keep their business going, and that is that is the that is the area that I'm talking about. As their business grows, and then they want to start talking about a brand, which is not just the logo. Okay, right. the logo becomes a reflection 
of the brand, the entity, right? right? Mm -hmm. But that also incorporates all the colors that you pick. Uh, all of the, how you write your copy is a big part of your brand. Oh yeah, the so, voice, right? right? The voice of it, the colors of it, and then your your logo, your mark changes as you grow as an organization and your brand becomes more solidified as a whole. And that is where as designers, as skilled designers, that's where we spend our time now. Where before, I would spend tons of time illustrating out a, uh, a logo for envelopes and doing stationery and all that. Uh, and that's that. those were really good contracts. Now that has changed and that has moved up the line where now you're doing brand and you're not really doing a lot of those that logo work right. anymore. That's all I'm saying. There will always be work for custom, yeah. right? And there will always be I mean, be you get what you that. pay for, right? Right. And, and, and that is... Unless you're Nike. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and, well, if you think about that, this is, this is the interesting thing about all that is every time someone creates a image or a brand, it's now saved. And so you're having millions added into this this wealth, uh, this embarrassment of riches of these logos, um, and that's just something that's being churned, churned. Every Fiverr person that that pr presents logos that aren't used, then they throw them up on these sites and they try to get other people to use it. And you look at these sites and like, oh yeah, this really good logo. Fifteen different design. companies have this. Yeah, that's not a market I want to be in. No. Brand is good. So all of this with UX design, every time that we create a design standard or every time that we, we create an element, that is being saved, if that makes sense. Yeah. So eventually we're going to get to a point that people can go out and buy full design systems that they can use. I have to say that's one of my favorite things about our industry and the mm -hmm. UX industry is that whereas in advertising, people tend to compare. They're like, oh, the, the new Bloomberg logo looks like Pinterest or Pinterest right, looks right, like right. whatever, right? Like they're all piggybacking off of the precedent. But I, what I love about UX is that we actually look at other apps who are doing things better yeah, so yeah. we can learn from it. Right, right. You know what I, I mean? Agree. There's no competition to it, right? So let's just say like maybe Snapchat did really well for user interaction, secondary interactions or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe Facebook didn't do it as well on the phone, on the mobile platform. And I think that it's super cool if we could just look at those differences and say that, you know what, I want A, B, and J to be in my app. And we you know actively what? use those. It just yeah. so, so people know. Yeah. It's, like it's when not we a competition. Have meetings, we're actively yeah. creating betterment for the UX world, for the user. Yeah, we're con that is done in meetings with large companies. We go through every piece of software. That's part of what, when you hear us talking about design patterns, mm -hmm. we will go through and find design patterns of other companies and find out people are doing right. that and then build on that. And so how's carbon doing? How's material design doing? Exactly. Right. And so we're in this process of, and all of that is saved. And so we're in the constant process of getting better and better and better. But eventually we're going to get to a point that someone is going to be able to say, okay, I want to build an app and you can, and, and hand off a package design system. Yeah. Right. And then they can, they can build it. Uh, and so eventually that's going to point. So then we're going to have to move up to the next level of why and i think that's the natural process of what we're doing when we were doing logo design it was more of illustration let's just do that yeah um there'll always be a place for illustrators there will always be you know stuff but it's just not as much as it used to be and i think we're going to see a point where design systems because all of that is being saved none of that's going away the, most of your higher end designers are going to have to move more into the why are we building this question right. and moving into those discussions, mm -hmm. which we're already having. But there's a lot of UX people that aren't 
fortunate enough to be having these discussions of not what are we building, but why are, why are we, we building, building it? it? And that becomes a whole different mindset. And so I think that's where the future becomes because eventually the elements are all going to be there. Right. Any element that you want. I mean, we do our design system now, right? You can pull it in, decide the color, decide the you know, what, you, what you want it to say, and mm-hmm. there's no programming done. It's just drag right. and drop you with a good design system that we created in the last year, right? right? So it's, it's moving in that direction. So I think um, in, in several years moving forward, I think you're going to have it where most of these design tools are done, but there will always be need for someone to go, why are we doing this? What does the customer want? Mm-hmm. Why does the customer want that? And to wrap this around at the beginning, and I think you said the most important of all this is having empathy for the people that are using it and having empathy for their problems. Because good software is always about solving a problem. Right. And if you're not solving a problem... You shouldn't build it. You shouldn't build it. And if you can't clearly say this is the problem we're building, then you should think about whether you need to build it at all. Right. Right? So you were right at the very beginning. um, You nailed it with uh, talking about empathy. Feel good about that? Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Um, well, that, this was a lot of fun. We're, we're going to do this more often. How often do you think we should do this? Every 10 shows? Every 20 shows? Yeah, let's do every 10 shows. Every 10 shows, and we'll, we'll kind of we'll wait till another this. caller calls in and be like, Oh, yeah. So okay. What's up with that fitness challenge? Or something yeah, like that's that. right. Yeah, we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that. So uh, it was so much fun. Just actually, I think this is literally the longest conversation you and I have had. Um, Just on the show. Well, not no. I think overall, I I don't what? think we. Well, we're always so busy. Like we talk ten minutes at a time. We have never had a conversation that is an hour and a half long. Like Grayson comes time. over to my desk like twenty times a day. Oh, if you add that time up, that's I like three that. hours. I feel bad about that too. I'm a very excitable person. Like, would you agree? That's true, that's true. <laughs> I'm always excited. Like, ooh, I found this, and like. I mean, I, I thought you were coming over to like look at my view because I'm I'm actually at the corner this. of the office, so I get kind of like a panoramic view. I thought Grayson was my friend at first, but he's actually just coming over to look out my window. Oh, uh, that is true. <laughs> no, I, it is. I, I'm I am very much a show and tell person. Like, I find something and I. No, I like that about you. That, that, that's obviously why we're we're on the show together, right? So, so I come. I do come over and, and we talk about this. We talk about our stuff. But the view is basically we're several stories up looking straight down Park Avenue. And right now in the summer, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So, okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming down. Thank you for coming over. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. And we're out. That's well.